Thank you. Thank you. We've had such an amazing weekend. If we haven't gotten to see you or meet you yet, it's been an incredibly powerful weekend already with Friday night's Holy Spirit night and conference yesterday. And we just want to join you in honoring your pastors and your yeah. leadership team because it takes a bold and brave pastor and leadership team to bring somebody to talk about sex. And to let us do it on a Sunday morning, no less. <laughs> so you have a great, great leadership team. We've enjoyed our time with them. Got to watch the end of the Bengals game at Wilson's house last night while we ate. That was, congratulations, Cincinnati. <laughs> Woo! Yes, um, our founding pastor, Chris Valentin, often says, when it comes to sexuality, we know that the world has perverted it. The church has historically either shamed or silenced it, but we believe the kingdom of God celebrates it. And so that's why Moral Revolution exists. It started in 2009 when he wrote the first book titled Moral Revolution. And since then, we've been able to build library of resources and travel the world, telling the world a better story about sex because we believe that God's original design for sexuality is the best design, and we wanna celebrate that everywhere we go. So that's why we exist, Cole and I, and our team back in Redding, California, out of Bethel Church. We get to create resources for every conversation around sexuality, because we know they differ, whether it starts with young children, youth, young adults, single adults, marriages, parents, and leaders and pastors. Yeah, so we have a lot of, we have some books left. I'm actually not gonna go over them. I don't wanna waste time, I wanna preach, so we're not gonna tell you about the books right now. But we have some books out at the booth. We have a lot of online resources. I'm gonna just give one away, um, and then we're gonna talk about sex on a Sunday morning. No better time or place. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, you're only gonna hear from me. We actually are much better together. We normally share together, um, but the Lord has kind of given me a message for, for Sunday morning that I feel like we're, I'm gonna share this morning, and so... This is where you have to say bye to my beautiful wife, yes. I'm sorry. So let's pray for the word and for Cole this morning. Yeah. God, we thank you uh, for your presence in this house. God, we thank you for this beautiful family and body of believers here, Jesus. And we just pray for today's word, God, that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our spirits. And God, we just ask that we would be renewed by the transforming of our minds this morning, God, that you would uh, do mental miracles, spiritual, physical, whatever is necessary, God, to just show us your love in a greater way today. Amen. We welcome your presence and we thank you for your word, God, in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thanks, babe. I'm looking for a young single man in the room. Oh, first hand up, come on up here, my man. I got a, a 40 day journey to purity for you. It's got videos with, it's like a devotional, it's got videos with each one. First hand up, there you go, my friend, you bet. Yeah, so clearly the Lord highlighted him. He needs purity the most. So I'm just joking. I'm joking, my friend. I'm joking. Well, maybe not. If the shoe fits, wear it, you know. Yeah, we are, it's our first time to Cincinnati. We've never been to Cincinnati. Unfortunately, we had to go to Columbus once years ago to reach the lost in Columbus. Um, that was painful because I'm a Michigan fan. I grew up in Michigan. Go blue. And, uh, you know, we have something in common. We all made the playoff for the first time. Cincinnati and Michigan, so we could all celebrate each other, can't we? And then we both got destroyed by the SEC, so we know each other's misery as well. Like we really, it feels like family. You were there? You, you went to the game. That's, I was at the Michigan game too, actually. I had to sit through that whole thing. Took my son. We moved all the way up to the front row for the fourth quarter. Just got more and more painful the closer we moved. Uh, but yeah, honored to be here, excited to be here. You know, Kate explained that we travel the world and we talk about sex. And 
really, I think what we feel our mandate is, is to, is to declare God's design. Uh, we are convinced that God made sex on purpose. And anybody that's experienced it the way God designed it knows that to be true. It's with intentional design. And so our job is to let the world know about that. I'm gonna actually preach part two. I only got through half of my notes in the first sermon. So you're gonna have to go watch the first sermon and those who watch the first one are gonna wanna watch this one. I know they'll both be on YouTube. Um, But I wanna preach part two and we're gonna start in Numbers. Can we go to Numbers 33 if you wanna get there? Um, You know, we have four kids we, had, we made four kids in five and a half years, and then we discovered board games, and then slowed down. We realized there's other things you can do with your evening, and um, we did started doing some of those things to slow ourselves down a little bit, and you know, at the time, I was like, oh, this is a great idea. Four kids really closely together. We'll like, we'll basically parent for like 20 years, and then they're out, but our house is a version of controlled chaos. For anybody that has made a lot of children really quickly, you realize very fast, like there's, there's no dignity anymore and there's no attempt at it. You know, like with our first kid, our goal was like we'd sit down at dinner and we'd go through letters and colors and numbers. He was one and he was saying the ABCs all the way through. Like we're just so proud of ourselves. We're such good parents. Our kid is so smart. He's the smartest child that has been born. He knows his letters by the age of one or two years old and then kid number two came and kid number three came and kid number four came and our, came and our goals changed really quickly. <laughs> like goal, like the first one is like he's gonna go to Harvard one day. Like we're gonna prepare him for life excellence. By probably kid number three, if I'm honest, probably kid number two, we didn't have any big lofty goals anymore. We just wanted to finish every day with every child alive. Like, I just need all four of my kids to be alive at the end of the day, and then we were successful parents today. Anybody relate? Like, man, it's, and then, you know, as they start to go through school, it's like every season, you have entirely different things, and just right when you, right when you figure something out, and you conquer one area, an entire another area comes up and punches you in the face. You're like, wait a second. We just figured something out. Now we gotta figure this out too? Why? You know, and my, it, they're all so different, right? Like your kids are so different. My, my, um, my second son, Connor, he is the truth teller in the family. And he just, he, he will not lie. He will not tell a lie. But, but he also tells family truths not in the family, Anybody got a kid like that? You're like, okay. So like one night we're sitting at dinner and my daughter, who's perfect in every way, um, she's the baby of the family. Our youngest of four is a daughter and she's just gorgeous and loves the Lord and she's just perfect. Um, She's never sinned actually, Um, still to this day. Her brothers don't agree with me on this, but I'm convinced she's never sinned. And we're sitting at dinner one night and she goes, dad, you're the best, you're the best dad. And Connor goes, no, he's not. And I look at Connor, and we all laughed. I, laugh, I couldn't help but to laugh. I look at him like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He goes, I mean, you're not the best dad. And he's like, he's like, 
Chloe, like there's a lot of dads in the world. There's no way we could know that he's the best dad. Like there's so many dads out there. You can't make that statement. He goes, you're a really good dad. You're not the worst dad. You're a really good dad, but we can't know if you're the best dad. Like that doesn't even make sense. Like that's not even logical. (laughs) Like, thanks, Connor. You're the almost best son too. And it's just the way Connor is. Like he just thinks so practically and clearly and pragmatically. And it's just so intriguing when you, when you start to raise a family and you start to have relationship that you don't have a choice but to commit to. What you're willing to do to meet each child where they need to be met. How to give each child what they need because each one of my kids needs something totally different on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis. There's no cookie cutter response that will work for all four of my kids. And what it has taken from us is a diehard commitment to do family well above everything else. We've decided that that's our number one priority, my wife and I, that I I would rather be a great dad and husband than I would a great pastor. I'm way more interested in preaching at home really well than I am preaching to you really well. And that, I believe right now, in our generation, is the answer to our culture, is that we would commit to depth of connection and relationship with each other, and we would do family really, really well. I think we're in a time where we need our our businessmen and, and fathers to not think that just providing is my only job, but nurturing and giving identity is just as critical. I know my dad's generation, my dad was raised thinking that his job was to provide and he did, my dad did a great job of that. But there's also part of that generation that thinks that's my only job. I provide, the wife takes care of all the hard conversations. And I wanna challenge us to think differently that we're to partner in a deeper way in the growth and the discipleship of our kids and our families. And you're sitting there like, I'm not even married yet, bro. Chill out. Like I'm, I hope to be years away from wife and kids. But every one of us is playing a role in the picture of family right now. The way that we're engaging with our families, the way that we're honoring our parents, the way that we love and fight for the, the health of our families. And you know, Numbers 33, this is after the 40 years in the wilderness. For those that may not be familiar, actually we're gonna, be in, we're gonna start in Numbers 32, sorry. But for those that might not be familiar, there's, and in, in, most of us have heard of Moses and Pharaoh in Egypt, but I'm gonna give you a little quick, brief synopsis of what happened, what led them to this point. 400 years, God's people were in slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt and were building Egypt for them. And then they, he brought them out of slavery with Moses and Moses brought them out of slavery and then they, they, he brought them to the, to the edge of their promise, the edge of their inheritance, to the brink of their freedom. And said, I'm gonna give you the land of Canaan Send out spies, go into the land and let these spies spy out the land and come back and give you a report of what you need to do to conquer the land. Well, the spies came back and the spies were like, man, it is, the land is incredible. It is flowing with milk and honey. It's able to support us. It's able to provide for us. However, there are giants everywhere. There are well-fortified cities. Their walls are big. Their fighting men are strong. The battle that we're gonna have to fight to get this land, I don't know if it's worth it. Let's go find a land that nobody's in. Of all the spies that came back, only two, Caleb and Joshua said, no, this land is perfect and God's gonna give it to us. Let's fight. 
Well, the other spies spread a bad report and all of the Israelites decided we don't want, to, we don't want this battle. We don't want this fight. We don't want, we're not willing to fight the giants to get to the promised land. And so God got angry with them and he sent them out into the wilderness and they wandered for 40 years. And the Lord said, until this entire generation has been killed off, I'm not gonna send you into the promised land. Well, this is now after the 40 years. That generation is gone. They're back to the same place they were 40 years prior on east of the Jordan River, about to enter into the west side of the Jordan, which is the land of Canaan, where there's, the land is flowing with milk and honey. The fruit is larger than their head. They don't even know what to do with the abundance and the bounty that's on the other side of the Jordan. And two of the tribes come and say, the Reubenites and the Gadites, this is chapter 32, verse one. I'm gonna read a, a decent portion of this. This is really significant for us to understand this morning our mandate. He says, the Reubenites and the Gadites who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land, the lands of Jazar and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the community and said, I'm gonna skip all those Bible names. Verse four, the land of the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. That's really significant because what these two tribes were doing is they were saying, hey, the land of the east side of the Jordan is really good for the lifestyle we wanna live. And guess what? There's no one here to fight. And Moses was like, oh no, we're not doing this for 40 years again. <laughs> Let's go to the woodshed, fellas. And for the rest of this verse, he says, no, 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 don't, don't anger the Lord. Don't sin against the Lord by not having faith. He said, we went through this 40 years ago. You gotta cross the Jordan with us. We gotta clear out the land. Now, when we get done clearing out the land, you're welcome to have this part of the land, but you're gonna go into the land with us. Moses began to remind them in verse six, he said, should your fellow Israelites go to war as you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land, into the land God has given them? This is what your fathers did when they went from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went into the valley, they viewed the land and they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore an oath because you've not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of you who are 20 years old or older or more, when they, come out of, when they came out of Egypt, will see the promised land that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on oath. None except for Caleb and Joshua. So Moses then begins to explain to them why it's important for them to not just fight for what's theirs, but for, to fight for what's ours. Why the Gadites and the Reubenites, their job and their goal and their task wasn't just secure a home for you, but to work to secure a home for God's people as well. We need you to cross the Jordan with us to clear out the land. And, and in verse 33, chapter 33, you see this all the way in verse 55 where he now gives explanation. He says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live and then I will do what I plan, I will do to you what I planned to do to them. God 
God was not interested in them moving into a promised land and learning to live like the other people. Their mandate was not to move into the land of Canaan and live like the Canaanites. Their mandate was to move in and live like children of God. And he knew that if you don't consecrate yourself to me and you're not willing to pick up the sword, you will adopt their way of living. I'm gonna pause. I'm not encouraging anybody to pick up a sword in this generation. It's figurative. Do not go slay the people in the house next to you because they're not Christians. Chill out. And the interesting contrast is, so you have this younger generation. Oh, thanks, Luke. You have this younger generation, and I'm gonna just challenge myself and those underneath me for a moment. Millennials and under. You had this younger generation that wanted the promise without the fight. They wanted the promise without the fight. And I hate to admit it, but I see that in my generation everywhere I look. We would prefer to have the promise without the fight. But even an inheritance is on the other side of obedience. Even an inheritance is on the other side of obedience. The Lord regularly referred to Canaan as their inheritance. But he said, in order to get it, I need you to fight for it. I need you to pick up a sword. And then the contrast is so profound. So you fast forward five years from that moment. Now they have went through, they have destroyed, they fought 32 different kings. In one battle, the Lord actually froze the sun so that they could have more time to kill more people. I know it's the Bible. It's more exciting than Hollywood. He actually froze the sun for this immense battle so that they could preserve the land. And then Caleb... One of the first spies that went into the land and came back and said, let's do it. He's 85 years old now at this point. This is in Joshua chapter 13. Sorry, chapter 14, verse six. Joshua comes to, or Caleb comes to Joshua and says, you know what? Sorry, it's Caleb and says, you know what the Lord... You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about me. He's saying this to to Joshua. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And hear this. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. Where every other spy brought back a, a report according to what they saw externally. What was he saying? I brought back a report based on what was in here they brought back a report based on what was out there. So can I remind you what Moses said to me? But my fellow Israelites who went before me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly so that that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet will walk will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised me, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Don't you want to know, Caleb? I got a couple of Caleb's in my church, I'll tell you that. 
I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites are, are there. Those were the giants. The Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord will help me. I will drive them out just as he said. Do you see the difference? The millennials are asking for land without a fight. The 85-year-old cantankerous, God-fearing, Bible-believing man says, give me the best land even if I got to fight the giants. I'm 85 and I still want the biggest fight because I always want the best reward. I always want the greatest reward on the other side. I don't want the easiest part of the country. I want the best part of the country. And I'm willing to fight whoever I need to to get it. We are in an all-out war for the territory of family in our generation. We are in an all-out war the family structure, the family unit, the nuclear family has never been under greater attack than it is right now in this generation. And I believe there is, the Lord is speaking and saying, I need you to act as my prophets with action. And I need you to declare with your families what I have for this generation. The greatest messages we're gonna preach as pastors and as leaders are the messages that we preach in our home with our children and our wives. My greatest message will, we've been married for 15 years. My greatest message will be when I'm married for 40 years and have been committed and faithful to her and she's been committed and faithful to me. That'll be greater than any message I've ever preached on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, a Saturday all day at a conference. There is no message that I can preach that will compare to the lifestyle that I will live but it doesn't come without sacrifice. It doesn't come without hard times. It doesn't come without working through hard things. Even the Israelites, they, had, they came out of slavery and they, two, two weeks out of slavery, they were asking to go back to slavery because they wanted to be teleported to their promised land. For in, in an environment like this where it's a prophetic culture, I wanna, I wanna encourage you and challenge you for a moment. Prophecies are God's idea of what could happen in your life and what God would like to have happen in your life. They're not a guarantee. It requires a partnership on our side to steward the words that were given. I've had people prophesy over my life when I was young that I would have a strong marriage that I would preach and I would teach and I would reach people, but that didn't, I didn't just get to go sit on the couch and wait for that to happen. I had to fight to have a good marriage. My marriage is what Caitlin and I have made our marriage. We didn't come into marriage with just, oh, here's an easy, nice, good marriage. Here's the land east of the Jordan. No, when we got married 15 years ago, we stepped across the land to the west of the Jordan and said, all right, what battles do we have to fight to fight for this, to protect this, to keep this, and to preserve this? And then when my children are being children, and I'm angry, and I wanna have angry responses. I have to stop and pause and respond, why? See, God was so intentional throughout scripture. When he left Egypt, when he, when he took the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't just do famines for the sake of famines. Every famine attacked a God of the Egyptians. Go back to Numbers 33. 
right above 55 to verse 52, when he gave them their instructions, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, he said, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all of their carved images and cast idols and demolish their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. Part of their instruction wasn't just to go possess the land, but was to destroy the gods and the idols of the land as well. Anything that took worship from the Lord. When you consider what our gods and our idols are of our generation, I don't know a better way to destruct and destroy those idols than healthy marriages inside a covenant the way God has designed us to be. Sex is one of the biggest idols our generation has. And every moment I stay committed to my wife, I am destroying that idol in this generation. I am demonstrating faith-filled commitment and covenant the way God has designed me to experience it. When I talk to my children about God's design for sexuality and I give them this picture of what he says, I teach them never to allow their heart to be married to a commitment that goes beyond the covenant of marriage. It's not just a mandate to live well, make love, and be happy, though that's a part of it. He said, I've got a land for you to possess, and in the process of that possession, I need your lives to actually destroy the golden calves of this generation by the very nature of the way that we live. I wanna tell you a little bit about where we're at as a culture, and then we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis for a moment. See, what we're fighting is an enemy that is trying to destroy the imagery of God the Father so that when we say the word God the Father, our children will have a broken down version of what that means. They'll have a lack of an ability to understand because he created our earthly fathers to be a representation of our heavenly father. And so the enemy's been hell-bent on destroying the name dad in our generation by causing dads to be absent by causing them to be disengaged, by causing them to be interested in everything other than their children. And then to build this narrative that dads are out of the picture and they're not there. Well, I know a lot of really great fathers who are in the picture, a lot of really great husbands who are in the picture, who are committed to their wives, committed to their kids that are living that out and demonstrating God's heart for family. Millennials, my generation is all but given up on marriage this was a statement made in Time Magazine about this, that they tried to sum up the millennial mindset towards marriage, and it said, rather than have only a choice to marry the same old way or not marry, let's get a little imaginative and come up with material options that would be better suited to a variety of people, including a short-term trial union for younger couples, a child-rearing marriage for those who would like to do nothing more than co-parent, or a socially acceptable live-apart arrangement. It's a far cry from Matthew 19, four through six, when he says, what I bring together, let no one separate. That a man will leave his father and mother, will cleave to his wife, and the two will actually become one. We're almost looking for ways to not become one in this generation. 
And then you look at the confusion and the identity confusion and the gender confusion and the sexual orientation confusion and all of the chaos that has been sowed in. We'll often come to churches and they want us to give them the equation of how to fix all of these various things. And then unfortunately, I hate to tell you, there's not a quick fix for all of these things. There's a long-term commitment that's required. There's a long-term commitment to family that we have to get back to. And I wanna read you this in Genesis 1. I wanna remind us this morning, if you could actually close your eyes as I read this. I'm gonna pray as I read this, before I read this because I want the Lord to bring a new revelation of what his original design was. So Holy Spirit, I just ask as I read your word right now, would you allow it to pierce through hours of videos watched on social media? Will you allow the truth to overwhelm hours of music listened to, TV shows seen, movies watched and witnessed, hours of indoctrination from a culture that has belittled and minimized the value of sexual intimacy and the power of marriage? Would you right now, Holy Spirit, allow your word to have a supernatural authority to reject lies and declare truth? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in, the, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that moved along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We're in a, you can open your eyes and we're at a place in history where even this very truth is, is being questioned and challenged. And I love the, the statement, and I love that the Lord put it in there in verse 25 of chapter two. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Shame was never supposed to be associated to sexuality, ever. Shame and sex were never supposed to be in the same sentence. It's never supposed to be in the same conversation. But unfortunately, because of the brokenness that we've experienced outside of the church, we have almost in a lot of ways adopted that shame mentality as it pertains to sexuality. And so then we look outside and everybody's celebrating sex and they're singing about it and they're creating movies and TV shows all built around it. And then what happens in the church? We get in the church and we don't talk about it. Shh, we don't talk about sex. It's actually not worth talking about because we don't do it that much anyways. Like you get married and then you do it on your wedding night and then your birthday. And then there's this narrative that like in the church that we've built that like, oh, the husband can't ever get enough sex and the wife never gives enough to him and then, and then she's willing to do it because it's her duty because he provides for her and so she has sex with him to make him happy and to please him. And then we're, we're, we're really confused on why our kids don't wanna follow in our footsteps. Well, Beyonce's been singing about how great casual sex is for 20 years. And then we cut Justin Bieber, 
I mean, he, he writes all kinds of songs about how great it is and then does music videos and our kids are watching that stuff and they're like, wow, that looks really fun. When my parents talk about it, it doesn't sound so fun. When the church talks about it, it, it oh, they, they don't even get to have it. You don't get to have sex when you're married? Let me just declare to all the single people, I don't know what you heard, but you get to have a lot of great sex when you're married. And if you do it God's way, you even get to have a whole lot of really great sex when you're married. Can I just celebrate that and declare that? And what's going on with our, I want you to picture, put yourself in the mind of a 17-year-old kid who is watching sex be celebrated outside of the church and sex be silenced inside of the church. Church, we have to give our children a vision for sex so they don't adopt the world's vision for sex. We have to give them a vision for marriage so they don't adopt this millennial mindset of maybe we should rethink a marriage. Why are they rethinking marriage? Because we haven't given them vision for family. You know, when I look back at my life, I was raised in the church. My parents loved the Lord. I was raised knowing the Holy Spirit. And I look back and I think, what are the things that impacted me the most? Because I've heard, I couldn't even count how many sermons I've heard. I couldn't count how many sermons I fell asleep in, let alone the ones I heard. Like we used to do this thing, I probably shouldn't, uh, there's kids in here, I'm not gonna share this one. If there weren't kids, I'd share this. I don't wanna give any ideas out there, you know. I don't wanna share any ideas, things. You're welcome that I'm not sharing this to the kids, Pastor Van. But I can't even count how many I've heard. And you wanna know what I think back? When I think back of the things that really molded me into the man that I am, I think of the people that demonstrated family for me. Those were way more powerful than the messages. I'm excited this morning because Tony and Debbie Jones, I, I call her Debbie, I call her Deborah because she introduces herself that way. If you talk to her, you gotta call her Deborah. I get to call her Debbie. Tony and Debbie Jones are here. They, 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 these were my high school mentors. I mean, I spent hours at their house nights at their house. And I got to watch them live their family life. They live in Cincinnati and they came this morning and I got to watch the way that they treated each other, the way they responded to, to Aaron and Anthony, their boys, and the way that they got to interact. I, I remember I have these pictures of Saturday mornings cooking scrambled eggs with my friend Aaron who would come over and, and we'd sit there and we'd talk. And, and those are the moments watching them live their family life had a greater impact on me than any message I can remember from my youth years and my youth ministry. We had some great preaching in our church too. Man, we had some great preaching. Scott Hagen and, and Wayne Benson and Randy Giovanni, Don Giovanni, he was, he sounds like he was a crime boss. Randy Don Giovanni was our, my youth pastor. Like we heard some phenomenal preaching. And I'll be honest, I couldn't rem remember Randy's best sermon. But I remember eating eggs at their kitchen table and Aaron and Anthony playing in the living room and wrestling with the boys. I will never forget my sex talk Tony gave me <laughs> the night before my wedding. I'm not gonna share it with you. That's for me and him to know. Those are the things that marked me. He gave me a vision for what I could create in my own home. 
He gave me a vision for what I could have, the husband that I could be, the father that I could be. He gave me a vision for how to talk to my children and how to be an ear for them and yet create boundaries for them, how to be a gracious, have gracious response when they've screwed up and yet how to give clarity of what they should do next. Them, them letting us, me and my friends, into their home. I remember, I don't even know if you know this. One time they asked me to house sit. It was New Year's Day. My friend Jason from high school who didn't know the Lord, we, we came over into their living room and he found the Lord in their living room. On the floor for an hour and a half under the power of the Holy Spirit in their living room. Came to the Lord in their living room. I got to watch that and witness that. I'll tell you right now, that was the greatest message I ever, I ever heard growing up. I want to give you a mandate today. I would ask you, this congregation, Vineyard Northwest, would you be Tony and Deborah to this next generation? Could we walk in health and wholeness and demonstrate healthy relationships and healthy family? Could we be a church that isn't so easily offended living under unforgiveness all of the time? And I'm just gonna, sometimes we are such babies in the church. We're so easily offended. The moment someone takes our seat, the moment says someone says something we didn't think that they should say, the moment Pastor Van didn't say hi to me, and we, he just counseled me all week, he didn't even say hi to me Sunday morning. I'm leaving this church. Like we're so easily offended sometimes. How are we gonna demonstrate healthy relationships if we're so easily offended? I believe the territory the Lord wants us to take is the territory of healthy families. He is saying, now you don't get to just be on the east side and be casual and just have casual friendships. I'm actually asking you to cross the Jordan onto the west side to pick up a sword and fight some battles. Singles, I'm asking you to wait until you're married to have sex and to have sexual intimacy because there's a promised land on the other side of that. And if you would choose to wait for the promised land on the other side of that, that inheritance is better than you had ever dreamed it could be. And I wanna tell you that firsthand. I'm, we've been married for 15 years. We got married when I was 22. I've never seen pornography to this day. She is the only woman I have ever been with in any way, sexually. She's actually the only woman I've ever said I love you to. I had a girlfriend in high school tell me she loved me. I said, thank you. <laughs> and then I, said, then I realized she, oh, she wanted me to say it back. And I go, I'm sorry, I don't love you. I really like you. I think I might almost love you. When I do love you, can I just tell you I love you then? She broke up with me. <laughs> that relationship didn't last long. So for those that are, Young and single, can I just tell you right now, there's not been a single moment in my 15 years of marriage where I have thought, man, I wish I would have had sex before marriage. Never has occurred to me, never has come across my mind. I've only ever been grateful for the guidance that I got from people who were willing to have hard conversations with me. I've only ever been grateful for God's protection around me. I found pornography as a child, and I remember distinctly God saying, ah, this isn't who you are, you don't do this. I dropped it and I ran away from it. I've only ever been grateful for that. 
So for those of you that are young and you're like me, I'm telling you right now because you're probably questioning if it's worth it. You're probably questioning if it's worth picking up the sword and crossing over to the other side of the Jordan and fighting the fight to take the land has called you to. Will you hear me? It is worth it. I didn't know what my marriage would need until I got into my marriage. See, I married a woman who her story was different. She didn't know the Lord till she was 17 years old. And so she spent four to five years living what culture had told her to live. Culture said there's no strings attached. Culture told her that this doesn't really matter. You can do anything but sex and all of that is okay. It's not gonna impact you. Friends with benefits is no big deal. She began, she began to get sexually active in seventh grade. Spent four to five years being sexually active and then when we got married, got, she, she found the Lord miraculously as a 17 year old girl at a summer camp. Came out of that lifestyle, we got married and we got into marriage and we had some significant challenges in our marriage at the beginning. I would just touch her back and she would tense up. She'd immediately get triggered and her subconscious would scream, no, run. He wants what every other guy wanted when you were in middle school and high school. Even though we were married and committed and in covenant. We went to counseling for a year and a half where we didn't have sexual intimacy for a year and a half inside of marriage. All because culture lied and a girl who, did, who wasn't told any better believed it. Now I'm here to report and to declare God has redeemed all things. God has redeemed all things. Amen, baby. But we spent our first five to seven years of marriage working through some really hard stuff. We got to the other side of the Jordan and we had some giants to clear out. We had some giants we had to clear out so that we could take the land that was promised to us. Because I was promised a marriage that was done God's, the way that God designed it. I was promised a marriage that would fulfill me and would fulfill her, that we would fulfill each other. I was promised a marriage in covenant where we would both get joy from it, receive joy. I was promised a family that would be healthy and whole. And so because I was promised that and I believed in the promise that was given me, I was willing to fight every giant that came my way and I'm still willing to do it. And that's what I wanna encourage and challenge you in this morning. The greatest prophetic gift we can give to this generation is to be healthy in our individual life so that we can live out healthy family lives. The greatest gift, that answers everything. You have every, we get all kinds of questions. How do you talk to somebody that's gay? How do you talk to a transgender person? How do you help somebody with pornography? How, the answer to all of this stuff is this. Can I tell you the answer to all of it? Let us make mankind in our image, in, the, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures moving on the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created him. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That just answered every question our culture has been asking. It answered every question our culture's been asking. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is what we have given our life to call the church to rise up and fight for. 
I don't believe there is any battle that is more important on this planet right now than the battle of fighting for healthy families and whole families. Strong moms and strong dads that create strong sons and strong daughters. Powerful marriages that sow belief and faith into their children. Powerful singles that are demonstrating the goodness of God and the joy in their single life. That show it's worth waiting and I'm gonna wait. Why? Because the reward on the other side is worth the fight. The reward on the other side is worth the fight. Let me pray. Holy Spirit. I actually want to read this verse and then we're going to pray for something specific. 2 Timothy 4.3, a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and said to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. Holy Spirit, would you give us supernatural discernment? to identify and reject lies, to identify lies that have robbed destiny. Yeah, specifically, Father, in this room, I pray that you would reveal lies that have been believed that have robbed destiny. A lie that I'll never be able to have a good marriage because my parents didn't. The lie that I'll never be able to get free of pornography because it's been with me for too long. Would you right now, Holy Spirit, reveal lies that have robbed destiny? Lies that have caused people to freeze on the east side of the Jordan, not moving in to take the land that you've called them to take. I'm gonna ask you to be brave. If you would say, man, I need my faith and family restored. Would you stand up right now? I need my faith and family restored. Yeah, amen. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you right now release faith into hearts? Would you release faith into hearts for family, for strong families, Father? that would make a strong church, that would make a strong city and would forge a strong nation again? Would you release faith for families again? I bind doubt in Jesus' name that's based on past failures. We break shame that's tied to mistakes and failures and failed moments and broken situations and times where they did it again and because they did it again and they should have known there's shame attached to it and that's given them, that's created their theology of what is possible in their home. We break that in Jesus' name. Would you break generational curses right now in Jesus' name? 
God, for those in the room that have alcoholism in their line, drug abuse in their line, pornography addiction, sex addiction in their line, divorce in their line, brokenness in their line, mental illness in their genealogy, would you right now give a new inheritance, break generational curses in Jesus' name. Break generational curses in Jesus' name. Release complete freedom. Father, I declare about Vineyard Northwest that this will be a beacon of hope for this region. This will be a place where people walk in and there's a warmth that they haven't felt in years. They would come in off the street and they would look around and there would be this sense of family, of wholeness, of health that would mark them, that would draw them, Father. That you would use them to declare your goodness of covenant, of family, and of wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen.